0: All right, can we give the band a round of applause just as a thank you? Um, I know you guys, a lot of you guys in here have been in the student ministry since you started, um, but know that it's not normal to have such a great um, worship band um, that's so talented. Um, And so I'm very thankful for them. I know I say that all the time, um, but thankful for them and thankful for the way that God uses them, not only down here, but also on Sunday mornings, getting some salutes. Thank you, yeah. Okay. Um, So, uh Tonight we are going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, which is in the Old Testament. Okay. Um, if you hit like Judges, it's after Judges. Um, and if you're in like 2 Chronicles or 1 Chronicles or 1st or 2 Kings, you've gone too far. Um, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. Um, we probably won't have enough time tonight to really go into the depth that I would like to, um, but as I've been preparing for the uh, lesson on Sunday, um, and as I've been studying for that, I realized that there's a message in here for you guys. Um, on Sunday, I'm going to be talking about David and Goliath, um, and as I was studying through that, I uh, honestly, um, it's such a familiar uh, story that uh, I think that I brought with it a lot of assumptions from my childhood, learning it in Sunday school and so forth. And as I've read through it, I realized how real um, these characters are. And also um, uh, David himself and how bold he was. And so what you guys, what we're going to talk about tonight is the precursor to David and Goliath. So you're going to get a little sneak peek into what happened right before David and Goliath, and then if you come back on Sunday, Sunday morning we'll be talking about David and Goliath, and you'll know more than the adults do about the context of what this is placed in, um, which feels pretty good, right? Okay, yeah, okay. So, um, so what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to try to keep this as succinct as possible. Uh, we're going to be doing a very quick flyby, no pun intended, um, okay. of chapter 15 and 16, um, and what I'm going to do. Uh, Obviously, we can't read through all of that, okay? So my encouragement to you guys is to go home and to read this story um, and to try to read it with fresh eyes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the slides that I have so that you guys can fill in your blanks so that you don't go all like haywire on me, okay? Um, but as we're doing that... Uh, We might read some passages. I might ask you guys to read some passages. So if you have your Bibles, um, have them open to these passages. Um, But some of these we might not be able to read tonight. Um, And again, that's okay. Uh, You have the little uh, notation at the end of each of these note lines um, where you can find the information. Um, So again, I encourage you to go back, but because it's two chapters, it's just going to be really hard. So I'm going to try to tell the story to you. Um, without having to read through both chapters, but obviously there will be parts that will be left out. I'm just giving you a quick flyby. Okay? Um, so with that said, uh, the thing that struck me when I was reading uh, the story of David and Goliath was his age. Um, th- that struck me to the point where I realized that, hey, there's a message in here for you guys. King David, um, well, he wasn't a king yet, but um, he became the king of Israel. Um, he was actually like legitimately your guys' age. Now we don't know exactly how old he was, um, but we can definitely infer from context and contextual clues in the um, the passages that he was probably anywhere from fourteen years old, twelve years old, maybe at the youngest, and up to sixteen years old. So that's you, okay? So he was that that age. Um, when these things started happening in his life. So imagine with me, um, I think that you guys can relate with David in a way. Um, and if I say Daniel, by the way, in my brain, I'm a little bit tired tonight, um, so just replace that Daniel with a David. I'm talking about David, not Daniel. Uh, but the, the D's mix me up. Okay, anyways. Uh, the, okay, so... Uh, but I think that you guys can relate with him um, because he is very much in your situation, okay? And um, this is what happens in his life. But before we get to David, we have to talk about Saul. Saul was the king of these tribes of Israel. Now, at this point, Israel was an infant uh, nation. They had invaded uh, the, the promised land, but they by no means occupied all of it, okay? In fact, they, they, they didn't occupy a lot of it. They had different little territories. And there was a group of people, the Philistines, which we're going to talk about on Sunday specifically, that occupied the western part over on the Mediterranean Sea. So they still occupied a lot of what we now know as Palestine or Israel or whatever you want to call it. Okay, They occupied a lot of it, and so they were at odds with um, the Philistines. And uh, one of the reasons that they wanted a king was because uh, they wanted a king to lead them into battle because they realized that these people that were occupying this land that God had promised them were really powerful. So they looked at their countries. And they said, oh, well, they have a king. That makes them more powerful because they're more united and then they can go into battle. Um, so they ask for a king, and then King Saul comes along. Okay, And Samuel, um, who is a prophet, anoints King Saul. And uh, the way that scriptures describe him is that he was head and shoulders over all the other men. So he was a really tall guy, noticeable, um, and he was a warrior. Uh, and you see that throughout 1 Samuel, um, the first chapters, of how uh, bold he was and what type of a warrior he was. So that's really important because he was out on a conquest um, to uh, set up the nation of Israel. And so when he went into battle, a lot of times Samuel would, would go and bless them. A lot of times God would give them specific details to follow when they go into battle. So Sam or, uh, Saul um, was pretty good at following God's directions for a while. But he started getting arrogant and cocky, and he made a mistake. And that's where we pick up the story tonight in chapter 15. God tells him to go and to attack the Amalekites. Can we all say that together? Amalekites. Amalekites, Amalekites yes. They really, really liked flying kites. That's why they were called that. I'm just kidding. I don't know. That just came to me right now. It wasn't a very good joke. Okay. So, he attacks the Amalekites, or God tells him to go attack the Amalekites, um, and he tells him specifically... Saul, don't keep any type of any of the spoils, meaning like all that stuff that like that you normally do, like taking their money taking all, you know, don't keep anybody alive. And that's maybe something that's difficult for us to understand. But God said, kill men, women and children and to completely annihilate this, this, uh, this country. And so Saul goes in um, with his uh, 200,000 plus men um, and, and attacks the, the uh, attacks Amalek, um, and he doesn't follow God's rules specifically. So, with that said, God told God told Saul to attack the Amal, attack Amalek and leave no spoils, killing everyone and everything. I um, mean, you see that in chapter 15, verse 3. So that's your first blank. So fill it in if you're not filling it in, because we're moving on. Okay. So Saul attacked the Amalekites, but he kept their king alive. Agag. Can we all say Agag? Ag- can make a joke about him gagging, um, but I won't because my kite joke didn't go over well. no pun intended on that one. oh, didn't fly. okay anyways uh, yes, that one worked. I had some laughter there Aaron. Um, okay so uh, so Saul attacked the Amalekites but kept their king alive and set aside the best of the flocks okay So um, Samuel who's a prophet, uh, has a bad night, and God comes to him and he says, Saul has messed up big. Samuel wasn't with them. Saul's messed up big, and I am angry because he has not followed what I've told him to follow. And I'm going to remove his kingship from him. So he tells Samuel this. Saul has no idea that this is happening, and then Samuel goes and he's livid. Okay, so he shows up. Um, and And the reason that God rejected um, Saul was because of his disobedience and fear of man. Um, and you see that in the passage he even says when uh, Samuel uh, confronts him, um, he talks about how he was afraid of the people's opinions. And that was one of the reasons why um, he did what he did. Um, but in addition to that, he just straight up was disobedient. God told him not to keep anything. God told him to kill everybody. And here he is taking Agag along with him and keeping things that he wasn't supposed to. So Samuel goes... Um, uh, and he confronts Saul. Uh, and, and I think that one thing that we can glean from this is that obedience um, to God's word is much more important than sacrifices and religious activity. You actually see uh, uh, Samuel respond to Saul basically making excuses and just basically say, and you see it in there, um, well, there's a verse, 15, 22 through 23, and and to summarize it he's basically saying listen like god doesn't want a bunch of sacrifices he wants your obedience more than sacrifices god already has plenty he doesn't need these and um what's that what's that noise of these these animals bleeding in the distance and why is agag still alive so he confronts him and then Saul starts making excuses and then he grovels at um samuel and, and he literally grabs his robe um because samuel was like god's removing the kingdom of israel from you whether you like it or not. Now, at this point, Saul had been like, he, I mean, he was, he was cruising along. Things were going really well for him. And he's like, no, 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 and he grabs his robe, and it tears his robe, and Samuel turns around. That is the same way that Israel is going to be torn from you and your family. And then Saul, you know, tries to uh, plea with him, please don't do this. Have, you know, talk to God for me. And it, what was done was done. So here's what happens. Now, this is crazy, okay? Actually, what is the next thing? Um, Okay, so here's what happens. So, (laughs) it's just crazy. Because I'm like, I'm like, this dude, man of God, okay? Prophet. And uh, so he gets done doing this and he says, hey, BT Dubs, where is Agag? Okay? So, Agag's the king, remember? And so Agag comes in, it says literally in the scriptures, he comes in cheerful because he thinks, hey, the time of death has passed. Hey, I'm good. They kept me alive. I'm, I'm good. You can tell how like, selfish he is because all of his people were killed, but I'm good, okay? He comes in, so this basically a preacher of that time, okay, much more than that, a prophet, but like basically the preacher who speaks with God says, hey, Agag, why don't you come over here? grabs a sword and says in scripture that he hacks him to pieces. Uh-huh. Intense. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. So, I get, anyways, I, I have a very visual mind, so I'm just like, wow, that is really intense. So, you imagine that in the king's court. He's just like, Scott, you know, and uh, kills Agag and then rolls out, okay, leaving Saul there um, to try to uh, make sense of what just happened. Like, here's this chopped up man on my floor and... Uh, God just told me that he's taking the king, the kingdom from me. Okay. So then, uh, Samuel leaves to anoint a new king. Actually, he grieves first. Him and Saul were really close. So it says that he's grieving Saul, um, and grieving what he had done and grieving that he's not going to have the kingdom. Um, and then God comes to him and he's like, how long will you grieve for Saul? Get up and go, um, to the, to the house of Jesse. Um, I've already picked another, uh, successor. So, uh, God sent Samuel to anoint the new king in chapter 16. So he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. Now there's prophetic uh, um, importance to that, obviously. Where was Jesus born? Amen. City of David. Um, and the, this was where David was raised. Okay, And Jesus was actually in the, um, the lineage of David. Okay, so the line of David is what was the successor before Jesus Christ, all right? So you can trace him all the way back to King David. So um, he goes to Bethlehem, and um, he rolls up into Jesse's house. Oh, here's, here's another little tidbit that's interesting. He comes to Bethlehem, and the people meet him at the gate, and they're like, bro, we heard about what you did to Agag, are you coming in peace? Like, what is going on? Please come in peace. And like, you know, you could see him coming in, and kind of like 007, like, man, I'm got the license to kill, and they're like, please tell us if you're going to chop up anybody here. Um, And he's like, he's got a heifer, and he's like, you know, toading it along. He's like, no, I've just come to uh, make a sacrifice, which was a cover that God gave him because he was afraid that if Saul heard that he was going to go anoint another king, um, that he would have him killed. So God wisely was like, take a heifer, make a sacrifice, that would kind of be your cover, and go and anoint this king. So he rolls up in there, just says, I'm going to go to the house of Jesse. He invites his uh, Jesse and his sons to come. There's eight sons. Um, the youngest is David. Okay? And so he invites them to come. He knows that one of his sons is going to be the new king. So he's sitting there in conversation with God as these sons are being brought before him. And he's saying, oh, surely it's this one. Because he's really tall, just like Saul. Or surely it's this one because, you know, he's the next oldest or whatever. And God keeps on saying, like, no, it's not him. Um, I look at the heart, not in the outward appearance. Okay? Now, you have to understand that in those times, like with kings being attractive, tall, so forth, it set them apart that that was an important thing. Um, and so he keeps on sitting there, and seven of the sons come across, and every one of them is rejected. And he turns to Jesse and he says, is there anybody else? Because it's not any of them. Now, can you imagine the disappointment in there? you know eyes they're kind of sitting there like well what are we chopped liver and then Jesse says no i have one more son but he's out with the flocks a shepherd and so Samuel says go and get him um and we won't sit down until he gets here okay so this is what happened um uh, the youngest was out in the field so uh go ahead and write that down i went past that that point Jesse let all his sons go before Samuel, but the youngest, David, was in the field, um, tending the flocks. Oh, that's not on there. Great. Okay, perfect. Well, we're going to keep moving. Um, David, the youngest, was brought, and he was, quote from Scripture, ruddy and attractive, and God told Samuel to anoint him. Okay. So so this guy is probably the age of one of you guys in this room. Um, and comes rolling in, uh, and he's kind of an afterthought. We see that, like the, that his dad didn't even think to bring him in for this whole scenario. He assumed that it would be his oldest son or somebody else, but surely not David. He's the one that's out in the field. Um, but he brings him in, and so Samuel anoints him. And um, when he anointed David, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. I and mean, it says that the Spirit of the Lord left uh, Saul. So part of the reason that Saul was so successful and part of the reason that Saul was um, such a great king was that the spirit of the Lord was on him in a special way. So it leaves Saul and uh, it it resides on on David, um, and uh, so it came upon him. And what we see, um, okay, so here's here's a here's a big point for you guys. Sorry, I didn't uh, didn't remember this part. So don't think that God cannot or will not use you in a mighty way, even if you are young. Imagine with me if. Um, Let's say that the Secretary of State, I don't even know who that is, comes in and says, hey, guess what? Like, like, Somebody in your household is going to be the next president. And I know this because God's told me this. Let's just believe that, that he's a religious man and that he actually heard him. okay? Um, and he starts parading your siblings along, and then he lands on you. says, you're going to be the next president of the United States, of the free world. Uh- i right. now. Be like, alright, I'll do it now. That's probably part of the reason that David was so, like, bold, is that the prefrontal cortex hasn't fully developed yet. Okay. Um, so, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the boldness of that, but think about the weight of that. So he's standing in front of seven of his other brothers who are now disappointed that they weren't the one. He anoints him and, and with his family standing there and he realizes, like, like, like this is crazy. Like, I'm not Saul. I'm not, I'm not, you know, a man yet. I'm still just a a teenager, and I'm being anointed to become the king, next king of Israel. Okay. So, um, so I think that something that we can learn from this, and something we can learn from the history of the church, really, is that you're never too young to be used by God in a powerful way. In fact, uh, most of the movements, most of the revivals, um, started with, with youth just like you powerful okay and so so to to abdicate um, whatever role God might have for you um, you guys might not know what that means to put off whatever role might God might have for you but just because you're young or just because you're not um, you know a public speaker or just because you're not trained in biblical um, theology or whatever um, don't underestimate God and don't underestimate what God has gifted you with and and David, really, uh, part of his gifting that you'll see later on in the story and that we'll talk about on Sunday is that the Spirit of God was on him in a special way. And it's the same for you guys, especially those of you that have accepted Christ, that you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. And because of that, you have power that that somebody else that doesn't have the Holy Spirit doesn't have. And that that can give you boldness and it can give you um, uh, gifts and abilities that you wouldn't have otherwise, okay? And so this is what happens with David, um, and he's anointed. Now, when the spirit of God left him, there was an evil spirit that tormented Saul, and so Saul started losing his mind. Basically, a lot of uh, like legitimately, like probably some like some some psychotic symptoms, um, losing his mind, Um, and so he's tormented by the spirit and would come and go. And so when he started getting tormented by the spirit, his advisor said, Hey, find somebody that can play the lyre, um, which is like a small harp. Find somebody that can play that, and they'll play it whenever the spirit attacks you, and you'll be soothed by their music. Well, guess who plays the lyre? David. David does. And so um, some of the people in his court were like, Hey, we know this guy, David. uh in the house of Jesse who can play the liar and he's and they even said like he's he's attractive like he, god is with him and that he would be a great fit for uh for this so um, Saul calls David in um, and he commissions him to play uh the liar for him um, and the scriptures say that he loved him and that he appreciated him uh, which is really crazy cuz again I don't want to get ahead of myself but after David and Goliath um, David's uh fame rose very quickly. And Saul, because he was no longer God's favored one, um, he probably didn't know that David was anointed at this time and that he was going to be the next king. If he did, he probably would have interacted with him differently. In fact, back then, kings normally just tried to kill people like that. Um, but but uh, David's fame went up. Saul's fame was decreasing because the power of God had left him. Um, he became extremely jealous and homicidal and tried to kill David in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean... Legit, like he's playing the liar. It's like, okay, calm yourself. And then he picks up a javelin, and just throws it at him, and David barely ducks out and gets out of the room. But he keeps playing the liar. It's like it's like the Matrix. It's like, <laughs> you know? okay, uh, so he commissions him to play. So I loved David and kept him in his service. So he asked Jesse if he could stay there. Um, and so uh one thing that I think is uh, something that we can learn from this is that. Uh, God is always at work bringing to completion the plans he has for you. So David was anointed king and wasn't immediately made king. Like there were certain steps in between being anointed and then actually becoming king of Israel. And and th- this isn't even beginning to scrape the surface of what happened after David and Goliath. Like it was messed up stuff. Messed up. For a long time, and David continued to be faithful to Saul, continued to be a man of his word, and continued to serve him, even though Saul was literally hunting him down, like chasing him around, trying to hunt him down and kill him uh, because he was so jealous of him. Okay, um, but but in all of this, David uh, or God's plan was being brought to completion. Um, and so, so the question that I have for myself and for you guys is, what does it look like to be patient, um, not? Well that was awesome. to be patient um, uh, even when it doesn't seem like that God's plan uh, for your life is uh, coming into fruition the way that you thought it would. Um, okay let me get these back in there. All right uh, so it didn't start with his anointing, um, but God was still bringing to completion his plan. okay so um, so you'll get to hear the rest of the story. Had it pretty good like plowing through that. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, um, so, you get to hear the rest of the story on Sunday. Uh, did I miss one? No, I was going to ask question. Yeah, sure. So, was the jealousy because of the Spirit, or was it just Saul himself? It was. Okay, so Saul was tormented by the Spirit, and he was legitimately, like, having some serious mental issues, Okay. Um, so, most of it was his jealousy of David's success as a warrior. So, after David and Goliath, um, they come back into town, uh, and I'll, I'll get into this on Sunday, but they come back into town, and the women are singing praises over these warriors. And what they sing about David is that he killed his uh, tens of thousands, and Saul killed his thousands. And when Saul heard that, it infuriated him, because... Saul had been like the, the macho man on, you know, like he was the one that was leading everybody. Everybody trusted him. And now he realized, like this was the first inkling of his, um, uh, uh, yeah, his demise, exactly, of the kingdom of God being torn from him. And he got straight up ticked. Um, another little tidbit uh, that we'll talk about on Sunday is, is that Jonathan was uh, Saul's son, uh, not me, uh, but Jonathan was Saul's son and uh if you want to read like a really interesting story uh this whole narrative is just really fascinating like it makes uh the movie 300 look like pansy stuff okay like it's crazy um, and 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 so jonathan uh uh was good friends with david um, and oftentimes helped him escape his father's uh um, death wish for him um, and he knew that he wasn't going or he knew that David was going to take the throne and that he wasn't going to succeed his father um, so that just says that much more about his respect for David and what he saw in David and it says that um, after he killed uh Goliath and was speaking with Saul Saul uh had a reward and we'll talk about this again on Sunday but Saul had a reward for the person that would kill Goliath so he's talking through that and then after that it says that Jonathan's soul was knit to David's soul um, and that he loved him like he loved his own soul and and he gave him his armor, um, and and basically was saying like like I I there 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 was a there was a deep connection between them um, that that was just really cool. Um, that I don't know if you guys have experienced this before, but a friendship that was like closer than than family. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. Maybe you aren't old enough yet to experience that, but at some point you probably will. Where or I hope that you do. It's a really neat thing whenever you find a friend like that. Um, where you're closer to them than family, and I don't mean that in a bad way towards family, um, but that's the type of kinship um, that they had. Uh, so yeah, so he was he was jealous of his success, and also infuriated that the kingdom was being torn from him. Okay, so um, application points that uh, that I want to draw our minds to before we close. I just want to ask, like, what about you? Um, so one of the things that caused Saul's demise was that he wasn't obedient to God's word. He could play the game, okay? He could be the religious one um, and make the sacrifices. In fact, that was one of his excuses. He said, "Oh, we kept these uh, these um, um, animals so that we can make a sacrifice to the Lord." Well, that's not what God asked for. God asked for them to kill everything, um, and so so he was he was basically saying, "Like, I'm I'm going to try to make this up with with religious activity." So. How does this sit for you guys? And it sits for me, um, you know, sinks in at least. That we can come to church and we can do the church thing and do the religious activity and totally miss the point. We can try to clean up ourselves and come in here and then go out and not be obedient to God's word. And what we see in this passage is that God cares more about us being obedient to his word than being a really religious person. It's a heart thing. And he saw in David's heart that, that he had a heart after after him, and he saw that his heart was, was pure and that, that he blessed that. And so my question to you, my question to me, is is what does it look like to not play the religion game, um, but actually like take God's word and be obedient to it, not out of a place of like, well, I'm going to whip myself into shape, but out of a place of like the God of the universe that breathed all of creation in, in, into existence gave us this. And he expects us to follow it. He expects us to take it to heart and not be like Saul, that just halfway took it to heart. Well, I'll go and I'll attack, you know, Agag and his people, but I won't do exactly what God said because that's not the best plan. But it was the best plan because it was God's plan. He wanted obedience, not a sacrifice. And then Samuel came in and was like, it's "God, it's God, yeah, okay." Um, <laughs> so uh, the next question I have is. Do you put God in a box for using you since you're young or not as trained? So when I was your age, um, it was easy for me to look at the preacher or look at the youth pastor or look at the person that was, you know, steps ahead of me and to belittle myself and what God wanted to use me for. I just thought that I was like, you know, kind of like chopped liver, like, oh, well, you know, like I'm just a kid. But we see through Scripture that God uses kids. We see through church history that God uses kids. And we see in this passage that God uses kids. He anointed somebody that was probably about 14 years old as the next king of Israel. Talk about some pressure. I mean, that's crazy, right? And he blessed him with the Spirit, and the Spirit moved through him, and he did something, um, especially with David and Goliath, uh, that even the seasoned warriors weren't willing to do. Okay, so don't belittle uh, yourself and don't put God in a box and how he can use you even though you're young. And then, are you willing to follow God step by step even if you are not made king? So David was obedient to God. Um, his loyalty ran very deep. And you see that through the rest of the story where Saul is trying to hunt him down. He was loyal to Saul um, even though Saul was trying to kill him. He was loyal to Saul because he was God's anointed one. Okay, He was loyal to him because God placed him in that position. And, and so, so my question to you, it, it was a long time before David became king. And he had to go through a lot of stuff. Um, and yet he stayed faithful to what God was calling him to, um, not knowing exactly how all this was going to play out. All he knew was, hey, there's a price on my head and Saul, the most powerful man in our country, is trying to kill me. In fact, it's really interesting. Later on, he, uh, he escapes to the Philistines, which is the people that Goliath was, you know, fighting for. Um, and then they reject him and send him back. They're like, we don't want you here. Um, okay. So, uh, so that is the first part of the story. Now, I want you guys to come back on Sunday, um, to hear the rest of the story because I, uh, I want to get, I'm going to get into more detail about, um, uh, what was going on um, behind the scenes with uh, David and Goliath. And hopefully demystify it a little bit, de it a little bit so that we see it for what it is. Um little uh, like teaser. Um, one thing that I'm just like, what? Like, tell me if you ever saw this on your uh, flannel boards or on the walls of your Sunday school classes as kids. David ramming a sword through the giant's head and cutting it off and then picking it up and carrying it back. <laughs> Alright. That is crazy. Did he actually cut off the head? Yeah, I think he did. I think I remember him walking back in the village with the head. In the children's one, it just says that they hit him with a rock and he just falls over. Yeah, and then he's dead. Yeah, go team. Yeah, go team. Okay. So let me pray. Let me pray for us. um and then uh, we will be dismissed tonight. Hey, these uh, Essential Connections um, right here are for August, so please, I put them in every other chair. Please take one of these home. They're free to you. Um, they're devotionals for those of you guys that haven't heard me say that dozens of times. Um, so uh, take those home. They're for August, all right? So let me pray, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for tonight and the time you've given us together, and I thank you for the story of David and his faithfulness, um, not only to you, but also the people of authority in his life. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to take to heart um, uh, his story and the example that he set, especially in his early years. Um, God, I pray that you will um, take this lesson and that you will allow it to penetrate our hearts and that we be encouraged and emboldened by um, the example of David and how he walked out obedience to you. Um, thank you, God, that you use us um, regardless of how young we are or how small we are um, and that uh, that you are a God that moves through us, and that's what makes us powerful, not ourselves. Um, Father, I pray over these students, especially as they're preparing for the coming school year. I pray, Lord, that you will give them eyes to see um, the people around them at their schools the way that you see them um, and that you would increase their love and compassion for every single person in their school hallways. And that they would see that as a as a ripe mission field for you, um, and that this year they would use it um, to share your truth, to share your love with the people around them, um, and that they would be lights and that they would be leaders um, and examples for you. Um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.